Welcome to Lady Bits and Leadership, a brave space where women come together to share stories about our bodies, our sexuality, and motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Vogel, and my mission in life is helping women feel less alone, process their trauma, and build the lives they desire. So if you're ready to join a community of women who have found their voices, who have become liberated from shame and reclaim their power, then you're in the right place, girl. You found us. We're so happy you're here. I just have to tell you, this guest, Rachel Veritimos, who's a health and wellness coach, took me on such a fun and wild ride on this conversation. We are going to talk all about body confidence, intuitive eating, food freedom, and go through her journey dealing with social anxiety by eating comfort foods, becoming clinically obese by nine, and then spending the next 14 years unlearning those bad habits and learning why it is that she turned to food to deal with social anxiety. We start there and then we go on a wild ride. We talk about everything from ice baths to doing medicinal mushrooms. So if you're interested in understanding how to heal your inner wounds, heal your body confidence or develop your body confidence, if you're interested in what it might feel like to do uh, medicinal mushrooms with a shaman, if you're interested in breath work and how to use breath to calm social anxiety, to calm your nervous system, then this episode's for you. I'm not going to say any more because this episode is so amazing and it goes on such a wild ride. So prepare yourselves, buckle in. Here we are with Rachel Veritimos, health and wellness coach, and enjoy. I have a really long story on how I got into this. I'll just say what I did first, but uh, I really help women embody body confidence and find food freedom and intuitive eating and also debunk what intuitive eating and food freedom and body love really means. Because some people think it means, oh, I'm just going to eat pizza and brownies all the time and just love myself no matter what. No, there's a deeper meaning to that. It's really about learning to connect to yourself and in my experience, on my journey, and I help women through different portals of getting there, but learning to connect with my body in that way and nourish it uh, allowed me to then find self-love and connect to myself even emotionally on different deeper levels. So I help people with body love, self-love. Self-love is really the outcome of all of it. It it's kind of like the spectrum that goes back and forth between body love, self-love, confidence. I see them all wrapped up and intertwined into one another. So that's what I do is I help women do that so that they can reach their highest potential. So a lot of clients I've worked with, um, they come to me with self-love issues, not wanting to express themselves fully, not feeling like they can be authentically them. People pleasers. I work with a lot of people pleasers and even people who uh, shame themselves for binging and eating too much and really just living in that black and white area. But this, they all have this one thing that they tell me. And what they always tell me is, is I know that I'm destined for so much more than what I'm doing. And I know that I'm holding myself back and I just, I feel so stuck. And so I help all those women get unstuck, feel their potential, get connected, rooted, grounded in their confidence so that they can really manifest what they, they believe they're capable of. So I also help them connect to their intuition in that way so they can figure out what their purpose is, what their dharma is, which is always ever evolving. But 
in that evolution, in that growth, uh, that's typically where people find it. There is a lot to unpack there. (laughs) And I absolutely love what you're doing. I love your message. And I love how you said, you know, a lot of times for women, this idea of like body image, body confidence and confidence in general and self-love are so intertwined. You can't talk about confidence oftentimes for women without talking about body confidence, because we live in a society that is constantly sending women in particular, men too, but women in particular, very destructive messages about their self-worth as it's tied to their body. And so if their body isn't perfect by these unrealistic standards, then a lot of women get the message that I'm worthless or I'm either worthless in total or literally worth a little bit less than someone else who's more, I don't know, aligned with whatever the standard is. Yeah. And I really see a lot of it is societal, but also ancestral. And and I've seen it happen from both the dad side and the mom side. For me personally, um, and for a lot of women I work with, it's the mom when they're younger. Um, especially, I work with a lot of highly sensitive women. Um, so I was a highly sensitive kid growing up. I became obese because I didn't talk to anyone. I would just closet eat. And that's my story. But when I was overweight, my mom was always like, oh, you're, you're overweight, taking me to doctors, being concerned about me being overweight, making stories about how I'm not going to have friends because I'm overweight. And so a lot of young girls uh, are really taught that being overweight at a young age is bad. It means that you're going to get when you're taken out of the, the tribe. Yeah. Essentially that you don't belong. That we're, you are no longer going to be a part of us if you don't conform to our standards. Yes, 100%. And even I had it on my dad's side too. Whenever I was in high school and I would gain a little bit of weight, my dad would say to me, oh, your thighs, they're like getting a little chunkier. It looks like you gained weight. And I'm in Facebook groups with women. And there's this one woman uh, who actually runs the group. And she talks about how when she goes to her family gatherings, how her dad always says something to her, like, isn't it time to lose the baby weight? So I see that it's ancestrally programmed into us, but it's also societally programmed into us where because in society, it's this mass um, belief, this mass concept that in order to be healthy, in order to be a person who can birth a baby healthfully and not get disease and, and be this, I don't know, shining example of a person that you have to be skinny or fit in some way. And so I think people confuse the two as being healthy with being skinny. And then they just took being skinny and went way too far with it. And it made people actually unhealthy mentally and physically. I think it's important to talk about your journey, right? Because I think you alluded to it. You had said that you were obese as a child. Can you talk to us about what that journey looked like? This is where I said it's long because it started when I was nine. So I'll keep it as short as possible. But when I was nine, like I said, I was obese. I didn't talk. I didn't feel like I knew how to be a normal human because I would listen to everyone talk around me and I just didn't know how to contribute. So when I'd get home, I didn't know this is what I was doing, but I would emotionally eat. I would eat because it was the thing that was fun for me. I didn't hang out with a lot of kids. They scared me. 
I always felt different. And I remember one time I was in my basement and my parents had a bunch of cassette tapes of different summer camps. They had all these different tapes with all these different camps. And I watched one and it was this weight loss camp in New York City. So I found this tape and it says, if you go like kids lose six pounds or 20 pounds in six weeks. And so I found the tape, I brought it to my parents and I was like, can I please go because I want to be like the other kids, or at least I don't know if I said that part out loud. I was thinking it in my, in my head. I so desperately wanted to be like the other kids. They were all skinny. They had a lot of energy. They um, all talked to one another. And I thought that was the key because like I said, my mom always worried about me not having friends And so they said, yes. And so I went for six weeks. I lost 23 pounds, but not in a healthy way because at this camp, they had a lot of food I did not like. So I didn't eat a lot of the food. And then I lost weight faster than the other campers. And you know what that taught me? If you don't eat that much food, you're if you eat less food than other people, then you're skinny. And also because at this camp, there was other kids like me, I did make friends. And so then I taught myself, okay, I'm skinny now. There's people, I have friends, like there is a connection there. And I made this connection in order to have friends, in order to be a happy, normal person, I have to be skinny. Like that has to be it. So I got home from summer camp, had the weight off and I did make a couple more friends when I was home because I had more confidence. It was more of an internal confidence. And then over the next I'd say 16 years, I would stay up until about 3 a.m. researching different diets, how I could be skinnier, what foods to eat. Um, I would yo-yo diet, obviously. I'd get to really low points in my weight where like borderline eating disorder. I, I probably did have an eating disorder, but I was never diagnosed with one because I would go through these yo-yo diet phases. And then I went to college for nutrition and dietetics because I wanted to help kids lose weight like I had. Um, I thought I, I thought I did it in a healthy way at the time. And so, and also I wanted to learn how to be skinny and not have to try so hard still. So I went to college for this. I loved it. I love learning about nutrition in college so much, but it exhausted me. It was a lot. It was, it exhausted me because I was trying to apply it to me. I was trying to just find the solution to being skinny. And I realized at the end of college, after I graduated that no matter how much I learned, no matter how much I tried to control my weight, I'm still going to be stressed in my head. My head's still going to be running amok, wanting to learn more and more. And so I hit this rock bottom and maybe you've heard of people hitting rock bottoms before where they just give up. They're just like, I'm not doing this anymore. And that's what happened was I said, I'm just not going to control my food anymore. I'm not going to research it anymore because clearly the more I learn nothing that doesn't change anything. And so I just started eating healthy. I just started eating whole foods, like literally just going back to the basics of eating fruits, vegetables, uh, protein, rice, like whole grains, like just whole foods. And if I wanted things that were processed once in a while, I would eat that. And over time, over the course of a year or two, 
I realized I wasn't stressed about food anymore. My body had actually, my body weight had actually normalized at a weight that I felt super comfortable and happy in. And I loved my body and I felt more connected to my body than ever because I noticed how good I felt because I was eating enough food, number one. And number two, I was eating really nutrient dense foods and I had all the energy, more energy than I had had in my whole life. And it just created this negative feedback loop of, oh my God, the more I feed myself, nourishment and focus on how many nutrients I put into my body as opposed to using food to shape my body or quote unquote, be healthy because I'm eating a very certain diet. Uh, that's when I got the body I love because I fixed the mental piece by giving up and just accepting. And I fixed the body piece by nourishing myself, gaining energy. And through that, it formed a mind body connection because I could feel, and then that fed my mind, good feelings. I want to hear more about how you got to that rock bottom. Like, was there a moment that you can remember or was it an eventual transition where you were just like, I'm slowly changing and now I'm only eating whole grains. Cause I feel like that's where people want to know, how do I get to, you know, the, what you call the rock bottom? Well, you want to know what I think a part of it was uh, when I was nine years old, when I was in elementary school, I used to have panic attacks. So they would have sports games and I'd be playing the sport game. And in the middle of the game, my whole body would collapse because if someone yelled at me, I couldn't handle it. And my body would collapse. They'd have to stop the game and carry me off the field. So I hadn't had one of those in a really long time, but my last semester in college, about the last month and a half, I had like a month and a half long anxiety attack. It was and it was where I was controlling my breath. It was all about my breath and I couldn't stop focusing on it. I didn't trust my body to be able to breathe on its own. And it's almost like I, my body was in this crisis mode where I had to put so much focus on that, that it started to take my focus away from food, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Your body through a month long panic attack told you, girlfriend, just breathe. That's all I need you to do. <laughs> that's it. One thing I started doing three years ago was ice baths. And before ice baths, I would did Bikram yoga. So it's very similar. It was like an hour and a half, yeah. four degree room humidity. And you have to focus on your breath. And I would say Bikram yoga was the first thing that was really good for me to learn to really focus on my body and breath. And now ice baths, because I used to hate the cold and now I like it, is the new thing that's gotten me to focus on my body and my breath. And you hear everyone say, like you can get so, so many good benefits out of doing either really hot yoga or like sauna and ice baths. And it's really because the way your nervous system gets trained is through the breath. So talk to us about ice baths. Cause I did see that on your Instagram. I don't know anything about ice baths. Who runs them? Can you do them on your own? What was your initial reaction to your first one? I want to know everything. So with ice baths, one of the reasons I started doing it a few years ago was because after my journey with food, my next journey was really healing my anxiety, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I took a lot of meditation courses, all of that. I was super into personal development and I heard about ice baths and Wim Hof. Have you heard of him? Briefly, but I could not tell you the philosophy. So he's like this breath work 
king. So we're talking about breath, great transition. He teaches that he's literally been able to improve health markers exponentially, improve his nervous system. He can now hold his breath underwater, I think for up to like 15 minutes. Whoa, what? Yeah, all through ice bath training. I'll have to look this up. This is very intriguing. Girl, look it up. It's so good. And so I started doing breath work and he said to start with cold showers. And so I started with cold showers because I hate the cold. I really do. I live in Boston and I wanted to strengthen my mindset around the cold, but I also wanted to train my nervous system. So I started with cold showers, which I actually think cold showers are worse than ice baths. Uh, Side note. Really? Yeah, because they're hitting new spots on the body constantly, whereas ice baths, you just get in and you're like numb right away. So, uh, yeah, ice baths. Ice baths have been able to train my nervous system so much that when a traumatic event happens now, my body doesn't freak out like it used to. In fact, it's so calm that I'm like very surprised when my body reacts that way. It's just never how it's ever reacted before. So for example, um, I was in a house fire this past year and it was really scary. My body somehow was not afraid. It was a really weird sensation. Um, And I remember breathing through it. I got out of it and I was like, oh, that was fine. That was scary for a second, but now I'm fine. Other people that I was with were like freaking out and saying how traumatic it was. And I didn't register in my mind why I was so calm until I've realized I've been doing ice baths for so long. And I also thought it through and thought, Rachel, past you would have freaked the F out. Like, and the only thing I could contribute uh, attribute it to is ice baths. Um, because when I get into an ice bath, you have to really practice low and slow breathing. You have to, or your breathing can get out of control. You can start hyperventilating. And that's one thing that I know when I get in an ice bath, I just pretend I'm in a hot tub and I get my breathing immediately low and slow, which has also taught me the power of my mind to be able to imagine that and believe that. And everyone tells me when I get in an ice bath, it looks like I'm in a hot tub. And it's because I pretend I'm in a hot tub. <laughs> My husband, every time he gets sick, is just like, I'm not sick. Or hungover, I'm not hungover. This man just convinces himself he's not hungover and moves on. We went to Vancouver once and we he had eaten like a rotten oyster or something. He got incredibly ill with the norovirus that he then proceeded to pass on to me because it's transmittable because it was a virus. And he threw up all night and then got up because it was the last day of our vacation. And he went out with me to Chinatown. Looking back on it now, I'm like, maybe we shouldn't have done that. We might've infected other people. Sorry, Canada. Um, But he just powered through it. He drove from Canada to Seattle that day so that we could catch our flight home. He did a whole flight from Seattle to San Diego. Then I proceeded to get sick. And I, I was, I, at one point was like, I need to call 911. Like I've never called 911 for myself. And I'm like, I think I'm dying. And he can just convince himself. He has so much power over it that he's like, I am fine. I don't know. He is not an ice bath person. I don't know how he did this. Now I'm thinking to myself, I need ice baths. You can do it by yourself. I have this monthly meetup I go to, which is super nice because it's this community building aspect where we all do breath work. We do a little movement. We do uh, tai, not tai chi, uh, qigong, which is, do you know qigong? Slow movement. 
not martial arts, is it? No, it's, it's really grounding. So it's, it's really about feeling the energy in your body and you will move energy with your hands and you can even jump up and down for a minute and then stop and close your eyes and feel the energy in your body. So that's something we'll do that together. And then we'll get in the ice baths and then he has a sauna. So we can go in the sauna after, and then we all share, which is really nice, but you can do an ice bath on your own. You can fill your tub with ice. Um, you could get the big, like, um, almost the, where they keep alcohol in those. Oh, like a big, oh yeah. Like those big metal iron buckets. That's what you sat in. That's what I saw on Instagram. So you have someone that hosts this. How, so you put ice in a bunch of water. What happens after that you get in and then what happens? So I'll tell you what happens for especially beginners and most people, like I said, I've been doing these for three years. So for most people, they get in and you start seeing them. Go, <gasps> like, I wish you could, I wish people could see what I was doing, but it's like this almost hyperventilating weird face. Um, and then it's about sitting. And what I like to do is close my eyes and you just focus on calming your whole body. Just like when you were probably like, I bet you it's so similar to when you were in that yoga class and it was so uncomfortable and you just had to lay down and focus and calm yourself as much as possible. It's, it's very similar to that. I would say cold therapy can be very similar to heat therapy, although cold therapy also has these other benefits of it also increases fat burning and increases um, muscle recovery as well. That makes sense. Cause when I was a college athlete, they would have ice baths in the recovery, in the like PT room. I never went to one. Thankfully I'd never got hurt. I also didn't try that hard. So in my college <laughs> sports experience. So it calms all of that down. It burns fat. And how long do you sit in there? My longest time has been seven minutes. Most people, a good amount of time for your first time, I would say would be a minute or two. I went to an ice bath uh, workshop down in Virginia. Like I said, I'm in Boston. So I went to a breathwork and ice bath thing and every, it was like 30 people there and it was a lot of people's first time. And so the instructor asked, told everyone that if you can go in for two minutes, your first time, that's really good. So I would say anywhere from like 30 seconds to two minutes. Like I said, when I started doing cold showers, I always, I started with 30 seconds and I stay up to a minute now, but I don't really like staying in the shower as much as ice baths for me. Like I said, ice baths are easier because I just numb out. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I have so many questions about how you got to this place because you're talking about breath work and you're talking about ice baths, these modalities of learning and healing that I think for a lot of people would be really strange or odd, even though they've been practiced for years and years and decades and decades. How did you get to the point where you were doing things like breath work, yoga, knowing about, you know, um, practitioners like Winhoff? Like, how did you get there? What was the evolution? You know, I really think it's because my why started when I was in elementary school and that why the pain I felt when I was young was so strong of feeling so separate and wanting to be normal and wanting to have peace within that want was so strong 
that that's driven me my whole life. So even though for 16 years I yo-yo dieted, it was for that why. You know how they have inner child healing these days and how when you're a child, that's when you learn. That's like when the things are ingrained into you. I think I just ingrained this strong why so young that it's run my my life. And I'm actually really grateful for it because I can always feel that part of me inside. And it's the part of me that gives me the motivation to stay consistent every day, even though I'm almost 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, yeah, it's, I would really say it's that there's a wonderful life coach. So she coaches business. She coaches other coaches named Simone Grace soul. And I listen to her podcast all the time because she's hilarious and funny and has a lot of important information. And she said that, you know, the best coaches are those who remain close to the pain that they're solving for their clients. You know, and it sounds that you like you have remained and really can still intimately connect with the pain that your clients are feeling, why they seek your services. I love that quote. That is so good. I'm going to... I'll send it to you. Yeah. Yeah, Please share that. She's fantastic. And I think that's so true, you know, because for me, I think although, although different, I had a very similar experience, like being overweight my whole life. I mean, my, my youngest memory, my youngest, um, nickname was Nelly belly. So Nell is my nickname. And then obviously belly. And I always like, when I look back at photos, I was always so much taller than my brothers. I was always so, so much bigger in all aspects, tall, you know, I'm almost six feet tall. I'm broad. And even though growing up, I should have known, like I grew up here in Hawaii. So like Polynesian women are larger women, it's okay. You know, like here, it's okay. Just like in some other cultures, being bigger is okay. But again, you know, like you were talking about earlier, those messages that we receive from our families and those messages that we receive from the television or that we receive from magazines that tell us like constantly headline, how to lose weight, how to get those five pounds off, how to get the baby weight off, which is, you know, now as a relatively new mother is what I'm experiencing it just really messes with your head. And I think we all kind of take different interpretations. Like yours was like, I just want to fit in. Um, I guess to a certain extent I did too. Like for me, I grew up in a surfing town. And so they're literally closed and go past 10 or size 10 or 11 for shorts. And we're talking about in the early nineties. So like those sizes are even smaller than they are now. Now we live in a world that's a little more inclusive but still yet the fat phobia and the fat shaming still exists. And then we are now learning about things that you talked about, like body acceptance, body positivity. And I think that's fantastic too, because if you want to lose weight, there are ways to do that. And there are ways to do that in a healthy way because you want to feel better because you want to be able to carry, you know, like when I go to the gym now, I'm like, I want to carry my child, my 30 pound, enormous two-year-old without back pain, you know? So I have different motivations now. So I think what you're doing with these women that you work with to identify what are those pain points and what is your internal motivation? And let's address where this stem from and how, what steps we can take now to move you forward is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So I'm super curious. You said you 
grew up in Hawaii. It's a surfer town. The sizes didn't go up that much. So did you also feel like you were an outcast in that? Like, were there not other Polynesian kids who are also? I guess I, I remember growing up in a very, like, there was different sections of the population. So like the elementary school. So if we're talking about formative years, right up until sixth grade, when you're really kind of, um, you were talking about healing the inner child. Like there was, there were Polynesian women and kids that were much bigger, but in my immediate sphere, my family, my little intimate community, it was really surfer focused. It was really like you know, men, men were the surfers. We didn't, we had, I'm sure female surfers, but it wasn't like today, you know, it was very male dominated industry. They were really in shape. All the women were wearing string bikinis. I was wearing a one piece, (laughs) you know, like it was the thought of me going out in a bikini in my mind was like, that's never going to happen. It's just never going to happen. I would be that kid that was wearing t-shirts over bathing suits because I was so ashamed of my body, you know, and that came from a lot of teasing, you know, that kids do that. My little brothers did that. My family did, you know, poking at my fat and stuff. And when I look back, it's like, it is what it is, you know, it happened. And I think, like you said, I'm really grateful for those experiences because it taught me to be a more empathetic person. Because when you go through that shit, you never want people to feel like that. So did I feel like an outcast? I mean, I guess to a certain extent, but I mostly just didn't feel wanted, desired, or beautiful. And I think that when we put a lot of emphasis to women on that importance to feel that way, and then when you, for me anyway, when I learned that, okay, well, that's bullshit too. Like it shouldn't just be about our sex appeal, but I just wanted to feel that way for myself. I wanted to feel beautiful. That's when things started shifting for me was it for me. It was when I became an athlete actually, because I weight was just coming off and I was stronger. I was physically stronger and I was mentally stronger because we were, you know, we were winning and losing games. We were learning how to work as a team. I was seeing my body in a different way. I was seeing it as something that I'm training, you know, for to win a game. It wasn't it similar to what we're talking about with the ice baths. It took my focus away from you don't look good to wow, you are really incredibly strong. I guess I haven't really thought about that, but I guess that's the work that you do, right? With women is that you help them kind of unpack. It's not therapy in the therapeutic relationship, but you do have to think about where were those formative thoughts made so that we can take some forward moving steps now and start to change whether it's the energy that you feel inside yourself that then translates into your feelings about your body, your feelings about your worth, your feelings about whatever it is that they're feeling pain with. I I actually do have something to say on that. One of my most powerful coaching tools that I use involves the breath, actually, as we were just talking about. Um, But it also involves the energy behind our stories, the stories that we've held since we were little girls. So like my story of... Um, 
losing, like having two friends ditch me when I was a, a little girl and literally having no friends because all I wanted to do was stay inside and eat. And your story of feeling like an outsider, having people call you Nelly Belly and how you still carry that, how we still carry that with us, right? And there's a difference between having that story and continuing to believe that story. So a big part about what I do is I teach my clients is the power of our words. And I do this form of coaching called story work. Have you heard of abracadabra, what abracadabra means? No. So abracadabra means as I speak, I create. It's an Aramaic word. And it's because our words, just like I was talking about energy before, literally have an energy to them. They literally have a vibration to them. Have you heard of sound healing? How sound healing can literally heal you? I've heard of sound baths. I've wanted to participate in one so bad. Is that the same thing? Sound bathing? Yeah. So typically it'll be at a certain frequency. So I actually have sound bowls that are tuned to 432 Hertz. And there's actual studies that when your body is next to that vibration or is taking on that vibration, it, it heals you. It brings your body back into resonance It physically. It's the same thing with our words. Different words have different vibrations to them. And so when we say them, it affects our body. It affects other people. You can literally feel words. And the way you can practice feeling words is through speaking and then breathing and feeling it in your body. And one thing that I do with clients is we'll take a story and we'll just break it up piece by piece by piece. And I'll have them read each piece and breathe and feel it in their body. And then I'll switch some words around so we can get into more language stuff if you want. But for example, let's say I can't ever get anything right. So what we would first do is I would have them say it out loud, breathe, feel it in their body. And then I would start by switching can't to could. I could get some and then everything to some things. I could get some things right. They say that out loud, breathe it in their body. And a hundred percent of the time they're like, that's true. Cause nothing's all or nothing. I can't, it's not that I can't get anything right. I've, I've walked, I've gotten things right in my life. (laughs) So, so it's, it's showing people using breath, using the vibration of words that their stories are actually just stories. And through that, I'm able to help people shift their thoughts and beliefs around it. If that makes sense. So the breathing aspect, cause I've heard of something similar where you do one word at a time and you say like I you take a breath could and you go through the whole sentence the breath solidifies on an energetic level a new a new belief is that how it works yeah it's more so so you can feel the truth of this story you're telling yourself. And when you use breath to feel the old story, you realize that it's actually ridiculous, especially when you then um, bring in the new, the language changes, you can feel the difference. And the more positive one or the more neutral one is the one that feels true. Our mind gets stuck in mind drama. And because it's not connecting to our body. It's just our mind going on these vicious loops of this happened. And then this means this, and that means this person did this. And that means everyone hates me. And this means that like, it goes in this downward spiral because it's 
like I said, with my food, when I was in my head thinking about my diet before, I wasn't connecting to my body. When you slow down and you listen to the truth of what's going on and you connect to feel it in your body, that's when you feel you're connected to your intuition. We tell ourselves stories about ourselves and believe things and we can unlearn them and we can unbelieve them and start believing new things, which is fantastic, right? That means that you have the power to change your life. But what about people like how you were talking about when when folks go home or their intimate partnerships or their parents that keep asking them, so when are you going to lose the baby weight or pinch, you know, pinch at you and say something about your weight? How have you dealt with messages like that? I mean, you've, you've gone through an entire transformation. You're a much more confident person. You can talk about these things openly. You can coach people on it. For those who still go home or visit family, that these negative messages are still around and they want to help change that, what advice would you have for them? Oh, I love this question because this is, I would say, one of the biggest transformations and mindset shifts I had in my own life. And I love... I love teaching my clients this because I look at, so this is the projection, right? Whenever, whenever our parents are continuing to say to us, oh, uh, did you lose the weight? You need to lose weight still and are reminding you. So part of the language work I do is learning to breathe and be firm in who you are, right? And realize that you have the power to know who you are so much that everything is is always brought back to you. And because that's true, everything that someone else says is actually a reflection of them and has nothing to do with you. So for example, if my mom is worried about my weight, it's because she's always worried about her weight. If she gained weight, she would be worried, worried about it. And, and I'm not saying this happens overnight. This is a practice, right? Yeah. So but the concept of understanding that anything anyone says is a projection of their own mind just takes the pressure off because it's about them. It's never. And I know that this Oof. is, it's never about you. <laughs> that is so freeing. It's interesting because I'm thinking through this. I've never heard it put that way. So it's causing me to think of all these examples, but I mean, people do put out a certain energy that gets reciprocated right? So sometimes like if someone walks in the room and energetically, you can just feel that they're pissed off. And then it's like that other person's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Why are they pissed off? Right? Like, I think this just happened to me the other night with my husband. He was like, we, and we talked about it. We were like, we're just in two different energy fields, you know, and we just like clashed and had to figure out a way to be like, I need my energetic space over here. You go to the couch. But I think, so I think there is like an interplay between human energies, but at the same time, his response to me was, did I do something wrong? Whereas I'm like, why would you think that? You know? So then we had to talk about that. And it goes into this, this idea of, like you said, the energy that someone else puts out or the words that they use is a reflection on what's going on in their head. Yeah, we're the we're the star character in our movie. And to think that anyone else is having any different experience is just silly. We all are living our own movie and we get to create that movie and we get to decide who we are in that movie. I love that. 
where did you learn all this? Is this, did you go to coaching school or did you just read a lot? I feel like you're just chock full of energy that people can just learn so much from. Okay. So you know how I said when I was growing up, I would stay up till 3am researching nutrition. So when I wanted to heal my anxiety and become this confident person and find self-love, I took every coaching program and And I took coaching certifications for the sake of healing me. I actually hadn't planned on being a coach. So I've taken probably at least 10 coaching programs. I always have a coach. I'm always implementing these tools. And through, I'd say, the past, I've been healing like my emotional side since I got out of college. So eight years, it's been a progression of me taking meditation courses. But when I got into coaching, I'd say the last two years or two or three years, that's when my fastest transformation came because I met other people who had that level of consciousness. And then I hung out with them all the time and I took classes with them and I just became a new person. That's part of why I host retreats now is because my biggest transformation has come from me surrounding myself with these strong, amazing people who understand these concepts. And as a result, when you're around those people, you start to understand it and you start to embody it in your own way. So then I've, I've made my own understanding of things through this because I, I can feel it in my core now. Like I, um, yeah, I've, I've just done so much. It's an everyday practice of mine to the point where I love meditating. Now I meditate every day. I love journaling. I journal at least once a day, sometimes multiple times a day. I love, do, I love doing it all. I love breath work. Um, I would say plant medicine, honestly, uh, was a big part of it as well. I would say mushrooms were huge for me. I say that because I know for a hundred percent certainty because I felt it. You know, when you feel something, you believe it. You have to feel it to believe it. I have felt the oneness before. I have felt that I am you and you are me. And I like that we are all connected. And I understand how important energy is. And that's why I really choose to surround myself with people that have the energy and support the energy that I want to step into or um, or just like want to be in basically. Like I said, that's partly why I do these women's retreats because I would say women's retreats were a huge part of my transformation as well. Cause I, I had a lot of sister wounds, a lot of woman wounds from when I was a kid and even in high school and they healed all of those. And, and yeah, now I, I have more friends than I've ever, ever thought I could. Like I said, I went from no friends to I have hundreds of friends all over the country that I visit once a month. Like I go to different places all the time now. And it's, it's really been because coaching, when you're around people who believe or who, have, who are already there, you step up to that level. You should always have people you're connected to that push you to think differently feel differently about yourself, like you said, especially in a good way. I think that's fantastic. I didn't even know mushrooms was going to come up. Now I have a million questions. I've never done medical mushrooms or like any kind of micro dosing of that. 
I've smoked marijuana and actually find it to be very healing for a lot. Like when I was going through that toxic situation, that was the first time that I utilized it because we were living in California and I had grown up around it. It's not like in Hawaii, it's very, it's utilized a lot. It's not a big deal to me. I don't have any kind of thoughts around if it's a bad thing because I just don't believe it is. But I think mushrooms is relatively new. Like I also don't have any feelings. If it's helping you to be a better human and to believe new thoughts, I'm very curious about that. I think Oregon just legalized the use of it. But yeah, I I use mushrooms a little differently than than a lot of people. I'm sure there's a lot of people who use it the way I do. I use it very intentionally. So I, one of my things in life is having intention behind everything I do. Like, why am I doing this? So when I use mushrooms, I don't use them too often. I do one big mushroom tea once a year and it's Mm -hmm. my reset where I ask big questions. So when I first got into coaching and I was deciding whether I wanted to be a coach. I did a tea with my partner and we, and he was getting into coaching too. So we both asked if we were on the right path and we just meditated for four hours. And there's something about mushrooms where they say, I don't, have you heard of the Akashic records? You are literally blowing my mind right now. I did not know where this conversation was going to go. I'm like taking copious amounts of notes. I, No. So to answer your question, (laughs) no, I'm also not good at just answering questions straight away because my brain is firing off, but no. So tell me more about the Akashic records. Now I'm like, where, where are we going to go now? I'm ready. Okay. I, (laughs) I consider myself a grounded spiritual person. I'm not a woo woo spiritual person. You have to really convince me to believe something it, it took me a while to understand energy and be like, oh, energy, like it's a thing. It's a thing. So I realized the Akashic Records, they're this area that they say is up in some spiritual dimension. I know this is getting really woo-woo, but it's I'm where- really into it. Great. I'm, I'm literally, my mind's open. I'm ready to receive. <laughs> it's where all of the records throughout all of history, past, future, present are kept. Everything is in the records. And all of your, your spirit guides, they say, and loved ones are all there. When you, people, are, there's Akashic record readers out there who say they can access the records and they can do a reading for people. One way that I've felt them, because I don't know, I don't know if I believe in other people doing things for me. I believe in me being the source of it. I don't know. That's one of the beliefs I'm working through right now. Who knows? Uh, Who knows which is true. But when I'm on mushrooms, I feel them. When I've done big teas, I have gotten this feeling of that I know everything, that I have all of the answers to my life, to the universe. And so that's why when I do these big teas, I go into it with a question because I will leave that with 100% certainty of whether that's the thing or it's something else. And when I did that, that mushroom tea before I was getting into coaching, I asked that question and it was a resounding yes. And that was the start of the biggest, best two years of my life. Like hands down, I thought college were the best years of my life. Like I had a lot of fun, but no, it was, yeah, the and the mushrooms knew. And so I always use them when I want to know something. And usually I'll do like a smaller trip, maybe, another couple times a year. So like I said, I don't do it that often, but it's always with intention. That's awesome. I just feel like a lot of the modalities you're talking about are the things that Western medicine and Western ways of thinking have just pushed away, right? 
Like I just went to the doctor to get some Zoloft and now I'm like, maybe I need mushrooms. I don't know. (laughs) Well, have you heard of microdosing mushrooms? That I've heard of. I honestly would have no idea where to even get them, but it is something to think. I mean, it is 2022. Might be something that like for the new year, I resolved to try some plant medicine (laughs) instead of some Western medicine. But yeah, microdosing is like you take a little bit So it just elevates you or just changes the brain chemistry just a tad to where you're not like tripping and you can't do anything and you have to stay in a room, but like opens your mind just enough. Yeah. I, some people have told me they have great results using microdosing. Um, I always recommend people start with shamans. I just, or like having someone guide you or some sort of therapist. Um, I don't think mushrooms are a thing that just anyone should start doing. So if someone's listening to this podcast right now and they're just like, I'm going to go do a lot of mushrooms, maybe like slow your roll a second, because I really believe that to do the amount that I do, that you need to have the tools in place too, because they are, they're a tool, right? But you need to have a firm foundation for that tool. And so I think microdosing is a safer, smaller option way to start. But I still recommend everyone does it in a really safe environment with safe people. And I'm not telling people to do it at all, actually. So I need to clarify that. But that's- we're just we're just talking people who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> we're just I'm I'm just very curious about this, mostly because, well, I, I heard it come up in a podcast or in a book. I haven't read the book yet, but Michael Pollan is like a really famous researcher. And he did something about drugs. Like he did, recently did a book, I think in the last couple of years. And so, I mean, he was on a podcast that I was listening to and one of the drugs was caffeine, but then I think he also did a medicinal trip. And I think, you know, from what I can remember, he was like, I'm a proponent. And there's been multiple people who have done it, who are like, it just helps you think differently. It helps you see a different reality. Once you feel it, like you said, in your body as a reality, even if you're not tripping on mushrooms, you still feel that reality, which is why it's so important, like you said, to have a guide at the beginning to help you set intentions to do this with a purpose and not just because you want to feel what it feels like to trip on mushrooms. That's like It's like a waste of money and time if you do that why not use it as an opportunity to improve your well-being, to improve your mindset? That's so cool. Yeah, hundred percent. And it can be damaging if you just do it recklessly, just like anything can be damaging if you just are recklessly doing something. Right. So yeah, I know Michael Pollan, he is awesome and you're hundred percent right. And you know, they actually use it for people in hospice and it really eases uh, their fear of of death because they feel that that connection, that oneness, and they they know that everything is going to be okay. Everything is always okay, and I think that's partly why it eases your anxiety. You know, they've done studies where they took an image of someone's brain on mushrooms and they compared it to a monk in deep meditation, and the brain scans were the same. Maybe monks are just tripping all the time. I think they, they, I think they are because you can get to a point on breath work where you trip. You don't even need mushrooms. We have had quite the conversations. So where can people find you? How can they connect with you? How do they get signed up for these retreats? Where do we direct them? 
All right. So if you want to connect with me, first of all, this has been so fun. Uh, if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Rachel underscore Veritimos. I also have a free Facebook group, Become Your Best Self with Rachel Veritimos. Um, you can get the link for that in my bio on Instagram. But in that free group, I give free trainings every Wednesday and they're live. So if people have questions, they have questions related to their own lives, I will answer it. I will do live coaching. Um, and that's really part of like my thing that I give to the world without someone needing to spend money or anything. So I do that on Facebook and on Instagram. And then also on Instagram, you could get the links to whatever next retreat I have. And I also have a podcast, A to B with Rachel V. And I would love to have you on because now I know so much more about your empowerment story. Oh girl, there's so much more to talk about. And I cannot wait to be on your pod. I would be honored. Thank you for having me. This was so wonderful. I really appreciate you. And I'm excited to see how our connection blossoms. My loves, my loves, my loves. You've reached the end of another gorgeous and informative episode of Lady Bits and Leadership. Wasn't that fun? Don't you want more of this? If so, make sure you go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us. It would be so helpful in not only letting me know what you loved about this episode or what you want more of, but also to help others find us and find our community. I mean, isn't that so cool that you have the power to help someone get in touch with her lady bits and feel less alone and become more empowered? What? So send it on to someone that you know, email it, text it, message it. I would be so appreciative. Anyway, this is Dr. Sarah Vogel signing off. I can't wait to see you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.